Hey, it's David Anjaweeb in the lab. I just wanted to let you know that we had some issues with the audio in this episode. You can hear Jason clearly. Me, on the other hand, I seem to cut out here and there. So I encourage you to refer to the show notes on musicentrepreneurhq.com. And this is also a lesson for me to record audio on my end and not rely on programs like Zoom to handle it on my behalf. So anyway, enjoy this episode. Today, I've got a return guest to the New Music Industry Podcast. It's Submit Hub founder, Jason Grishkoff. How are you today, Jason? I am uh, I'm alive. It's, it's hinting at summer here in South Africa. And I think the last time we chatted was two years ago. May 2020. Uh, yeah. And uh, so COVID was just kicking in. Alcohol was banned where I was. And I, That's right. I recall <laughs> making a joke that maybe by 2023, things will be back to normal. And I was totally kidding, but I think I was right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just listening to that myself a little earlier, and uh, turns out to be quite prophetic that that we're moving yeah. into kind of a post-pandemic world. Oh man, I, I yeah, because what you you were trying to go to uh, Austin City something? I wanted to and... go to the DIY Musician Conference. Yeah, and is that happening this year? I I'm pretty sure it is. I think uh-huh. they even they may have even done it this year. I know things have been going on. I just, I'm not ready yet. I need time. Yeah. Uh, 2023, I might go to South by Southwest, maybe. Very cool. I'm waiting things, uh, for things to calm down a little bit. I mean, there's war, there's civil unrest, depending on where you go. That's it's just normal. Crazy. That's the every day. That's just normal par for the course. That's true. You make a uh, good point. Yeah. When wasn't there war? Yeah. When wasn't there war? Almost never. In our last conversation, we got to talk about Submit Hub and yourself and Indie Shuffle. And today we'll be touching on what's new with Submit Hub, hopefully what's new with you. But since our last interview was at the start of the pandemic, I wanted to see how you've been doing in the post-pandemic world. The pandemic was a very productive time. Coming out of the pandemic, well, it was in a digital space. So a lot of musicians released music that they'd been stewing on or just never had time to finish. A lot of hobbyist musicians took the plunge, decided maybe it wasn't for them. And it also meant that I had a lot of time to develop and code and, and make things better. So a lot has changed with Submit Hub over the two and a half years. Jeez. And, uh, <laughs> and, and with me, not too much is different. My kids are a bit older now, which means I get a bit more free time. But I still have myself in a situation where I can spend the majority of my workday coding, which is still, I think, where I can put the most value back into, into Submit Hub. So that's that's led to some pretty cool advancements since we last chatted. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're going to touch on as much as we can. I've enjoyed this period of productivity as well, even having gone through a bit of a burnout. I think it was end of 2020, beginning of 2021-ish. And that was from high caffeine consumption in too many consecutive days uh that apparently wears down your adrenals and at some point you can have a bit of a self-induced panic attack Jeez, so that's right. no good. Okay. don't don't do that fair warning fair warning thank you <laughs> uh, 
So, I mean, in terms of new things, I've been checking out your website in the last couple of weeks. It's possible it's been this way for a little while now, but you kind of adopted a bit of a dark theme. It's got a IRC chat sort of vibe. Would that be kind of an accurate way of describing it? Well, both of those did exist. So the first one is night mode, but what's probably happened is that your computer might be newer mm. and you might have automatic uh, day night type of stuff in there. So I can detect if your computer supports day night mm -hmm. and most modern Macs do most modern PC, most modern computers do. And, and what happens is that the Chrome browser or Safari or whatever you're using now has this interface that will tell me if you prefer your theme to be dark at night. And if you do magic night mode, uh, you can also toggle between the two in the top, right? You can hover over, you can switch day and night. Um, and, uh, you can also set it up to automatically change for you at sunrise and sunset. So for me, I use day mode during the day and night mode at night. And it just magically happens based on my time zone and location. So that's kind of a cool one. Gotcha. I know Derek Sever has set up something similar with his website. So if Derek's doing it, then you know that a lot of people are into it. Yeah, night mode's where it's at. Some, you know, you're either hardcore one or the other, I found. Uh, most of the people who use night mode on Submit Hub could never dream of switching back to day mode. Yes. But personally, I like it at daytime. I like a little bit of light. And at nighttime, when it's dark, I want to bring everything down on my screen. So it works also switching between the coding terminal, which is dark, 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 dark. It's just a lot easier on the eyes. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's, you, a, that's a pretty cool one. That's the coolest feature I've got. There it is. <laughs> Done. Uh, I sort of doubt that. That was kind of a, a softball for you. But we did set up a, a bit of a dark theme for Music Entrepreneur HQ as well. It doesn't switch between light and dark. We just went dark, period. But testing it out. I think that's safe. I think it's good. Yeah. yeah. The numbers publicly displayed on your website are that you got over 800,000 users, over 2,800 curators, and over 29 a day. Your website's used daily by major labels. Is that growth something that you personally focus on and how does it feel reflecting on it? Ooh, growth is a tough one. So what happened during the pandemic is that we saw our numbers double over the span of about two or three months. And I referenced this when we first started chatting, you had a lot of musicians who dusted off things that they've been working on, but didn't get to finish because their day job was holding them back. And now they got to work at home. And you saw this blossoming of online releases. You know, next thing you know, Spotify was saying they had 50,000 new songs a day. Uh, a year later, it was 75,000. Today, they're supposedly getting 100,000 new songs a day, which is mind boggling. Yeah. And um, what it meant is that we saw a really rapid acceleration. And it was happening at roughly the time you and I chatted. That growth hasn't continued. And it makes a lot of logical sense. So it was sort of the perfect storm. People stuck at home. The government's of most countries giving out money, which people were using on either cryptocurrency or just things that they're, they're you know, promoting music. So you had this perfect storm of people being online, finishing their music, having money in hand. And so we saw this massive growth. And since then, we've actually managed to sustain a bit of a plateau, which I think is pretty good. So you see a lot of these major corporations and whatnot currently uh, talking about how profits are dropping off a cliff. They've, you know, Google's gone from I think last year they made $35 billion profit. And this year they're only going to make $9 billion profit. Woe is me. But but generally there's a market trend down and we've managed to sustain uh, an almost perfect plateau since the end of 2020, which is great. Neither up nor down, just smooth running where we are. And uh, yeah, I look, it's something we think about, but 
I've always been of the mindset that we don't really run marketing. We don't have an ad spend. We don't have a very strong social media presence. We've tried once or twice and it's, it's a lot of work and it's nearly impossible to sustain and we don't enjoy it. And so we don't do it. And so our mentality now is that to keep the company growing or sustainable or where it is, we want to keep rolling out new features that work well for users, keep improving the UI and the UX, and make sure that our customer support is really responsive. So right now we have a, an under one hour response time on our customer support tickets, which is pretty quick. Uh, and, and generally the idea is to, to try and keep people happy with the product so that they'll keep coming back. And, and you know, we touched on this a lot last interview. There are certain things that are it's very difficult to keep people happy about when they're getting rejected left and right. But oh. as long as they feel like the product itself works smoothly, then that's sort of been the core of our uh, growth tactic. It's interesting. So, what would what would you you or how would you look at your emotional philosophy? Like, are you more reliant on PR and publicity, or is it pretty much just like whatever comes up is is enough to sustain and grow the company? We're in an interesting phase right now. So there there's a lot more competition. I think yeah. I mentioned in our last interview that for someone to catch up and compete with us was was next to impossible because of the amount of work that has to go into it. Yes. Two and a half years later, there are some people who've tried and they've sustained it and they're, they're still going and they're growing. Oh. Um, so Groover is one of them. They raised $7 million in funding to grow a little bit. Uh, and every every week, it seems, there's someone new coming up with a different strategy trying to sort of poach the curators that we have. And we're fine with them trying out other platforms. We don't mind. Uh, at the end of the day, I want to try win them over by providing the best product out there. So yeah, what was the, it was like an operational strategy. I don't know. We just want to, I, I just want to try and keep the product a few steps ahead and make sure that it's better. So, so yeah, that competition is coming and there's some unique ideas out there and some, some general shifts in, industry perception. So uh, one example I'll give you is MusoSoup. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. No. But MusoSoup is a submission platform where you pay a entry fee, let's call it, for your song to be listed. And then bloggers come along and they make offers for coverage. So they'll say, I'll give you 20. If you, give, if you pay me $20, sorry, if you donate $20, <laughs> I'll write an article about you. If you're not willing to donate, sorry, I'm not going to write an article about you, but I'll send out a tweet. Uh, and so you, you, you're seeing the rise of some alternative methods. And these models are attracting a lot of, uh, in this specific case, journalists who feel that they deserve to be paid for the time that they're investing in writing about this content. Yeah. Uh, again, in our last interview, we referenced sort of the demise of online advertising and you know these independent outlets can't rely on that as a source of revenue anymore no so they're looking for other ways and so what we've seen over probably the last year is that there's become uh more comfort with what i consider be payola however most of these journalists are saying it's not payola it's just paying me for what i do (sighs) anyway if you wanted to cover it up in marketing lingo you would just say sponsored content or native native so so i'm actually fine with it if they do if they introduce the the article and they say you know this article was published as part of band names promotional budget for their new song title 
Yeah. If they do that in the intro and they disclose quite clearly, I mean, that even that is sort of muddy, right? You're not saying that you were paid. It's just part of the promotional campaign. I'm actually okay with it, right? Because then you're disclosing. But 99% of this doesn't. It's just yeah. another article up on the website. And you don't know that there was a $20 or $50 or $100 transaction behind the scenes. So we're, we're actually having a lot of trouble these days trying to reconcile our philosophy, which is staunchly anti-payola, and the fact that there are some really good writers out there who feel like SubmitHub's model doesn't value their journalistic ability. So, yeah. so MuseoSoup is carving a niche here with these guys. And, and we find we often butt heads with them when I bring it up because, you know, I say, look, this is we consider this payola. And they say, no, it's not payola. It's a donation for my journalistic time. And then I said, well, would you have written the article if they didn't pay? Well, no, of course not, but I'll send them a tweet. I was like, well, then it's payola. <laughs> so, so, and then we get into these back and forths and, and uh, we end up uh, disagreeing about the way it goes. So some people have yeah. told me to, to kind of get lost in air force and they quit and others have agreed to put a bit more of a promotional spin on their articles so that their readers are aware. Anyway, the, the, the space is evolving, so to speak. Yeah. I like that you're sticking to your values. I think that's really key. And it and it says a lot about who you are. Yeah. Look, people change. Yeah. My values change. I, uh, a year ago, would have been staunchly against the idea. Today, I am softer on it. I'm saying, as long as you disclose up front that you're doing it, I don't have a problem with it. So I, I have struggled a little bit to try and find what my, where is my hard line that I've drawn in the sand? And I think it's it's emerged that it is about disclosure. Uh, and it's also about also making sure that, that, you know, this is about journalism and not a lot of these guys bundle, you know, if you pay me $75, I'll write a blog post and put you in my Spotify player list. And, yeah. and, and now you're violating Spotify's terms. So mm-hmm. we definitely want to be hands off there. So yeah, I've, I've drawn a line in the sand. You have to disclose it. And it's got to be about the writing and the content and, and not related to any sort of other share. The hilarious part about it is, you know, there's been sponsored content even on major publications for years now. And even if it is disclosed overtly, a lot of people don't notice. I'd say probably yeah. 80% of readers don't even notice, right? And so, and that's fine. I could do it. I, uh, one example I see do this really well is National Geographic. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've recently started subscribing to them again. And, and you find these beautiful spreads that are themed as if they were a National Geographic spread. And on bottom left, it mentions, you know, this is a Toyota ad. And, and so they're, they're integrating really well. And I have a feeling most users don't realize that. So there are ways to do it that are kosher. And there are ways to do it that I still think are not jiving with the original ethos of what music blogging was. But, you know, music blogging has changed. I'm, maybe I'm a dinosaur here. <laughs> but I've got my line. I've got my line. I like controversial statements, and and I think that one's well worth uh, tweeting out and, and sharing. <laughs> Not even controversial. I'll tell you my controversial one. I'm about to get rid of music premieres on SubmitHub. Yeah. Don't know if that's controversial or not. Kind of. What's the uh-huh. thinking behind that? So, so I wrote an article about this in 2016 that is the closest thing I've ever done to going viral. Mm. It was on Indie Shuffle, and the article was the something like, fuck it, we're done with premieres. And it it had a picture of a guy throwing a bunch of papers around, which I got on some stock photo site. And it took off. Uh, At the time, premieres were still an integral part of a PR campaign. And the idea was that blogs had influence. They were 
inundated with songs. And so they were looking for exclusives. If you offered them a premiere, you were more likely to get that exclusive and providing that premiere, which means you're basically allowing them to announce your single, meant that A, they would blog it, and B, you would get some exposure, they would get their back rubbed. It was an all-around good strategy, but it, it had its pitfalls. It was difficult to communicate. There was always organizational issues. And as a blogger, it became a real chore to go, okay, cool, this has to go out at 7 p.m. on Friday. You're going to send me the assets at 6.30 p.m. on Friday. I'm out to dinner with my wife but it's only 9.30 a.m. where you are, so you're fine. Like, it was just a nightmare, and, yeah. and it all came to a head, and I said, fuck it, I'm done. And, and it really resonated with the community. And I remember getting something like 40 or 50,000 likes on Facebook back when people used Facebook. And <laughs> yeah, so, so that's six years ago, and we haven't touched Premiere since then, but they still exist on SubmitHub. I don't think that the typical publicist or marketing campaign these days factors premieres in. They might try to get the angle on a stereo gum or a Rolling Stone or an NME, but at the end of the day, they really need to be going with all engines firing on release day. And that means getting as much coverage as they can straight away. So when release day hits, they can't do this 24 hour embargo on a premiere, this type of thing. Like leading up to it, they're trying to get as many Spotify placements lined up, as many blog posts, TikTok videos, journal articles, whatever. I'm just not sure that that many people are using premieres anymore. And, and I, it, it sounds controversial to say I'm going to get rid of it, but I, I actually have a feeling it's not going to be that controversial. So, so yeah. the option will disappear on SubmitHub. What I might be doing is something which we can get into a little bit later is uh, I'm planning to roll out a SubmitHub marketplace. And yeah, it's possible that you'll just be able to buy a, well, let's not call it a premiere, but a quality piece of written journalistic content that has disclosure about its promotional ties on a blog. So, so I think that is something we will be selling on the marketplace. And that that's a pretty big shift in like my, my, my colleague Dylan is still not sure he's cool with the idea. So we'll see. I, I, it's one of those ones where I, I like to launch and iterate. So I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. On my list for sure. So we will definitely yeah. get to it and we can start running through some of the changes that, that caught my attention. Something you updated just eight days ago Price. Part of this adjustment seems to be about artists are working with high quality influencers who are getting engagement. Is there anything else behind that? Uh, sorry, eight days ago. Which one was this? The adjustment to the influencer prices? Yes. Uh, okay. Well, since we've chatted, we've kind of rolled out this whole influencer submission side of Subin Hub. And there has been a lot of learning through this process. So originally, we integrated TikTok and Instagram into the system. And this was largely due to customer demand. So people, similar to the reason we put Spotify, people came to us and said, blogs are cool. Can I submit to Spotify? And I went, uh, well, I don't know much about Spotify, but let me figure it out. And that with that had its own learning curve. Then the same thing happened with TikTok and Instagram. And I said, okay, well, I don't know much about these, but let me figure it out. So initially TikTok and Instagram were folded into the blog submissions. And it was a very similar format of, uh, you know, one, two, or three credits based on their engagement. So they might say yes, they might say no. But we found that influencers had a hard time correlating their aggregate earnings with their per share. So they would come in and decline 20 songs and then approve one and say, well, why am I only getting $1 for sharing this? And I would try to explain, well, you know, it, it's, it's more like you've gotten $20 because you don't have to say yes to all of that. It wasn't working. 
And so we ended up settling on this model where we spun out influencers into their own category and we went straight payola, straight branded <laughs> marketing. You are buying a placement on an influencer channel. If they say no, you get your money back. If they say yes, they're going to publish it. Hmm. So, so we rolled out this system and it was a lot more effective. I think artists were happier with sort of the idea of, of you know, I'm going to go in and buy 20 TikTok videos. And Influencers were a lot happier with the higher prices, uh, but they also weren't. So our higher prices, we moved from you know 50 cents or a dollar per submission up to 10, 20, 30, sometimes $50 to share a video. And these guys mostly think that they're worth a lot more. I think if you ask the average influencer what they're worth, they'll say 500 to a thousand dollars for a share. Oh my God. And we found we can get most of them to actually share it for about $5 yeah. because they're not, they're not actually selling the $500 ones. And, and over time, we've learned a lot of lessons. There, there have been uh, numerous influencers on there who've tried to game the system, sharing the wrong song, taking the video down, uh, cashing out, running away with the money. And so we've, we've uh, built a lot of fail safes into the system over the last year. I can now check when they are sharing their song. I can verify that it's got the right video attached. It's at least 10 seconds long. It's on the right account. If it gets removed in, and then we lock their ability to cash out, get more money, we try to entice them back in by being like, hey, you know, you've got a, got $75 of shares waiting for you. All you got to do is reshare this one that you took down and then you'll unlock it. So we've gotten a lot better at our strategies of trying to contain this abuse. And all of that comes back to an update that we made last week, which we, we adjusted the pricing. So it's fully transparent. Uh, the article that you referenced is available on submithub.com slash stories. Yes. And in there is a little chart of, of what the price breakdown is for each piece of content. And the way that we do it is that we take a look at the influencers, this is gets, gets a little bit mathy, but we look at their last 50 videos and then we calculate the 20th to 80th percentile range. And then their pricing is based on the 20th percentile. So the logic there is that it means that when they share it, 80% of the time, they're actually going to get more views than we told you they would. 20% of the time, they might get less. But it's at the 20th percentile. That's where their pricing is. A lot of these guys don't like it. Like, Come on, you should yeah. be pricing based on, didn't you see that one video? I got a million. You never know. That could be you. And I'm like, well, you never know. But uh, most of the time, it's not. And I don't want to charge someone the potential of a million. And then they don't get it. And they come back and they complain. So the most recent adjustment factored in a couple other things like likes and comments. So we're, we're trying to make sure that there's at least some bare minimum. It's not just views. There's also engagement on that content. And, and we raised the bar a little bit as well. Uh, I think when we first launched, you know, the, the idea was any sort of content on TikTok is great. Uh, we just wanted to sign people up and get as many TikTok influencers as we can into the system. And the change that we made now is that it's still a very low bar, but you've got to have at least a thousand views on a video. So the influencer side has been wild, wild west. And it's, uh, we don't have any competitors in the space that we're in. I said this last time, though, about the curators. Yeah, it is still the wild, wild west. Uh, these guys are looking for as many ways as they can to game a system, right? They view Submit Hub not as a way to help artists, but as a way to make money. And, and we're constantly dealing with guys who think that they're slicker than us. We, we have been, you know, we've been tricked a lot. We've learned a lot of lessons over the time. We, we uh, inevitably have to refund the artists. And so we end up taking the hit. Uh, if someone you know shares a video, takes the money for it, and a week later they take it offline, we, we feel obligated to refund the artist. And unless that influencer comes back, we're going to take the hit. So it's it's a difficult one to learn. I 
my understanding is that playlist push has a TikTok submission side, but I'm not sure how that's going or what it's like. And generally, we don't have any competition in the space of, of micro influencers. Most of the others out there, uh, Songfluencer, Breaker, some of these others, they tend to deal with a more hands-on agency approach where they're actually working with you to try and tailor your thing. And then they are charging $500 to $1,000 per share. And we're, we very much slotted ourselves in with this you know, one to fifty dollar range, where you can just buy as many videos as you can. Personally, I wouldn't do an influencer submission, but I'm not on social media. So I think step one with with any of this stuff, uh, you know, not just social like TikTok and Instagram, but Spotify, whatever. If you're an artist, I think it, it's important to remember to promote your music on the platforms that you are comfortable and familiar with. So yes. I would say there's no point in submitting to TikTok influencers on SubmitHub if you yourself are not actually trying to get into the TikTok game. If you are, then it's totally useful. There's a, a an artist named Dax who does um, hip hop, but with a bit of a shock twist. He's like one of those shock hip hop guys. And he's he's proven really popular. He pumps a, a lot of an promotional budget into the influencer side of SubmitHub because he himself is constantly trying to push his own Twitter account. And so that helps grow him and get that energy going around it. And I think that's that's an important way to think about it. And the same can be said for Spotify. If you yourself are not familiar with and engaged with and, and, and you don't understand Spotify, then your promotional budget is likely spent better somewhere else. I like the standardization aspect of it myself. I went deep into Twitter last, I think, and I figured out that if you're going to pay for a shout out or a retweet, you shouldn't be spending more than 30 to 60 bucks unless they've got like millions of followers. Wow. And yeah. Well, g- given the half-life of a tweet, which I mean, they disappear so fast anyway. I'm sure. I'm sure there are people out there charging well over a thousand dollars for a tweet. Oh, yeah. Just never. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, we, we've tried to drive the price down as much as we can. And there are still some people who find it quite expensive and that's fair. But I don't think that they realize how much we've actually shifted the narrative here because almost everyone we've approached was intent on charging hundreds of dollars for each share. My mentality has basically been dream 100. Like these are the people that have access to my audience that I want to connect with most. And so I either work my way in like with a guest post or past interview or a YouTube Mm. collaboration or buy my way in if there's just no other way. SubmitHub is obviously on my Dream 100. Fantastic company. Has access to my audience, absolutely. You want to buy your way in? By the yeah, way, we'll yeah. deal with that money afterwards, right? Yeah, we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Likewise. Another thing that caught my attention was the choose for me button. You know, as someone who loves efficiency, I, I really like the idea. Uh, and how has that been going so far? Right. There's some, I've got some statistics there and, and a few surprises, actually. Ooh, so cool. the Choose For Me button comes about from a request from Universal Music Group who said, yeah, you know, we like Submit Hub and it's a good deal, but we just don't have time to sit there and sift through everyone. Can't you just choose for me? Ta-da! So uh, I whipped up this little button that shows up on the feed and it allows us to choose for you. And and the concept is that there's three steps. You indicate what's most important to you, listeners, written content, or feedback. 
So with listeners, the idea is that I'm going to skew your submission towards Spotify playlists and maybe YouTube channels. With written content, I'll skew it more towards this really good bloggers subset group that we have, which actually write good content. And with feedback, I'll make sure that we're only sending your submission to people who have a history of of really high ratings on their feedback. Uh, And this is the feedback that gets provided if a song gets rejected. What we found is that 95% plus are ranking listeners as most important and then written blog content. And uh, I think 0.1% of people so far have put feedback at the top. And so, so it is more of a skew than I anticipated. I, I thought there might be a little bit more of a mix, but no. Yeah. Then the next step you get to choose is um, whether you want it to be easy, balanced, or competitive. And so what I mean by this is, do you want us to focus on curators who have a high approval rate? This is the easy group, but you know that comes with the caveat that if they're approving a lot of songs, generally their engagement is a little bit less. The balanced category means that we're going to try to get a spread of people who, you know, some of them are a little harder to get, but there's also some easy wins in there. It's like having a nice um, stock portfolio that's just well balanced. And then the competitive group is like, we're going to focus on curators who can really push the, the needle as far as engagement goes. So that's option number two. And what we found there, about 70% of people are choosing balanced. Hmm. Not too surprising. What was a bit more surprising is it's 25% competitive and 5% easy. So no one's going the easy way. Actually, my stats are wrong even. Uh, it's more like 40-40-10. That's not 100. 50-40-10. More like 50-40-10. 50% balanced, 40% competitive, and, and 10% easy. So my takeaway there, and the reason I'm surprised, is that more people are choosing competitive than I would have expected. Uh, I anticipated that balanced would be where, where people would be going, but but there's a lot more people willing to take that plunge on uh, uh, an understanding that they're going to have a lower average approval rate because they're targeting more competitive curators. The third step is your budget. We just ask you how much you want to spend. And then once you hit choose for me, we take the list of curators filtered by genre, sorted by genre match, and we just start selecting them down there based on, based on your other two filters of, of what you're interested in. Hmm. So, it, it's kind of auto magic. It does take a step out of having to scroll through the list and choose who you want to send to. Um, it's still a few more steps than say playlist push. They they just ask you how much money you want to spend and they take care of the rest. So you don't get any insight into who it's going to and what the targeting looks like. Whereas you know, with our system, you still actually have a chance to review that afterwards. So it's even if you don't want to rely on that heavily, it's a good starting point to jump in there, hit choose from me and then, and then go from there. So we've seen... About 10% of submissions are coming through with this choose for me option. And what I anticipated was that the vast majority of them would be professionals. And I was so wrong. It's 90% indies. So of, of that group using the choose for me, barely any of them are the people I made it for, the, the universal music group people. So I'm like, come on, guys, I thought you were going to submit. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I think it, it's proven to be a fairly helpful option for artists who are unfamiliar with with the space and what they're getting into that's really fascinating because it sounds like there's people going more aggressively towards the competitive opportunities we used to say that like everybody goes for the low-hanging fruit so if you wanted to aim higher than the majority aim for the top but now it's sounding like there's more competition 
trying to get to the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going for the indie shuffles, right? Our, our approval rate is 3%, three and a half, but that effectively means that 97% of the songs we get are, are rejected. Uh, and But people want to send to us because, well, I don't know if we can move the needle as much anymore, but hypothetically, the other there are some big ones there who are pulling 1,000, 2,000 players per song that they share on Spotify. And, and that is moving the needle quite a bit, but those guys are often getting 100 plus submissions a day and they can only share two or three songs. So competitive is, is a tough one, but it appears as if people are willing to to take that and, and perhaps they're finding higher value from it. Now we get to talk about something you referenced earlier, and there's actually two parts to it because I really love this idea of a 2022 wish list. It might be something you've been doing for a while, but it's almost like publicly stated goals. And of course, as a component is the marketplace, which you referenced there. So I would really love to touch on both things, your your thought process behind creating that wish list and sharing it as well as where you think you're going to be going with the marketplace. Yeah. I, so I started the wish list in 2021. Mm. I think uh, part of it was that the, the more people who use submit have the more requests come in for features. And, and also I have more ideas as well. I've got this constant to-do list uh, right now. It's at about 45 items. Most of them are small little coding things, but I have these bigger projects in the back of my mind that I want to get through. So in 2021, I slapped together a wish list of the projects that I wanted to do. That article is probably still up where somewhere on submithub.com slash stories. Yep. And, and what happened is at the start of 2022, I brought some of those forward and I began a new, you know, this is my stated goals for, for this year. So I've been chipping through them and I, I've actually done a fairly good job i think it's it's approaching the end of october so i'm running out of time uh the marketplace is a new one on there but the the wish lists are a place for me to sort of dump some of the bigger ideas that i want to get done Uh, part of it is is transparency and and anticipation for uh, the user base and the other half of it is to incentivize or or force me to actually get it done now i've said it's going to get done here it is I'm going to work on it. So, you know, once I've said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The the latest one to go on there is this marketplace. And, and this mm-hmm. is actually a newer one that we, Dylan and I only sort of landed on about two months ago. The context is this. Dylan came to me and he said, Submit Hub for Labels is a shit show. So we launched Submit Hub for Labels back in 2016, 2017. It was the first spin out we did before we even touched Spotify playlists. And the idea was that you can submit your song and connect with a label to discuss business and potentially build a relationship. What we find is that it's it's about 1% of submissions and 20 to 30% of our customer support. It's huh. it's it's not great. And and a lot of this is because with the curator side you have a very well-defined deliverable. So I am a curator who runs a Spotify playlist. If I approve and share your song, it's going up on Spotify. Boom, there's the deliverable. With a label, it, it's a lot tougher. And, and for us to get involved with all of these negotiations and contracts and that type of stuff, not easy. And, and thirdly, since, thirdly, I don't even know if I had a one and two, but lastly, nextly, nextly, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the labels we find are generally shifting away from that historical model of investing in an act and and growing together and really doing that and moving more towards these kind of promotional packages. So we thought, look, we we want to sunset Submit Hub for Labels. It's it's not helping the business dramatically. 
the risk is that one of our competitors goes and swoops up this side. It, uh, it kind of jokes on them, right? They're, they're going to have to deal with the shit we've been dealing with for so long. Yeah. And um, the thinking was, we don't want to, there are some valuable people on here. Some of them write incredibly detailed feedback and can really analyze your song. And some of them also offer some really valuable promotional packages or, or studio time or helping you press an LP or a cassette tape or whatever it is that you do. There's a myriad of things that, that labels can help you with. And so we thought a marketplace might be a good place to list some of these services that we feel are, are tangible and trustable. So that was the birth of the marketplace idea. And then I thought, well, hold on a second. Album reviews. I've been telling people I was going to do album reviews since Submit had launched. It was one of the first questions that came up was, okay, but how do I submit my album? And it came up way more back then. Hmm. Today, not as many people are doing it, but there are still EPs and albums and there are blogs who love to dive into those. So I thought, you know what? This marketplace might actually be a good way to finally get this concept of, a, of an in-depth album review or critique into place. So that was the, the kind of second thing that popped into our head of, okay, well, hold on. Maybe there is a marketplace here. And then, and then it really just spun out. So essentially it just becomes Fiverr. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Fiverr. Yeah. But for those who aren't, Fiverr is a, a publicly traded company now, but it's a website that you can go to and pay people to do micro tasks for you. Make you a logo, help you mix a game, create a 3D render of your body, whatever it is. There's so many coding. There's uh, anything you can think of a micro task, they can do it. And and so I was thinking, well, I don't want. I'm not going to one up Fiverr. I'm sure, they've got thousands of tech employees, but there are some things that you know the Submit Hub community can help foster and work on. So what we're going to do, and and I, I think the more extensive listing of, of the potential things we can offer is on that wish list you've referenced, which is at submithub.com slash stories. We're going to expand this into essentially Fiverr for Submit Hub. And mm. we'll see what happens. Uh, everything that gets listed on there as a, as a product will be vetted by our team. So there, there's no free-for-all. People won't be able to list themselves. And I think there's going to be some major categories such as album reviews, or playlist advertising. And then we'll also allow people to get a bit creative with the services that they offer. And at the end of the day, what SubmitHub's really going to be doing is uh, we'll be a middleman, a lot like Fiverr, where we, we are ensuring that you get paid if you provide the deliverables and the client doesn't have to pay if they don't get the deliverables and we hold on to the money in the middle and make sure both parties are happy. So, so it's a uh, yeah it's being a middleman that's what we're going to do but i i think it it's kind of cool and it will help us expand to to offer some other things uh, even even touching on sound better i don't know if you're familiar with them but no they're owned by spotify it's just it's a marketplace where you can pay for mixing and production help so we're not going to one up them necessarily and and most of those packages are 200 300 400 500 dollars i'm thinking the services that we want to offer range between the, the that sort of five and a hundred dollar range, we we don't want to be getting involved in the hundred dollar plus disputes. So that's that's the gist of the marketplace. I'm I'm going to start coding it next week. This week I've got a few other things to get out of the way. I've got some really exciting updates around the corner for our Spotify listener numbers, mm. which is also something that we are uniquely positioned for. But that, that, you didn't ask me about that, so <laughs> so 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 sad. <laughs> yeah. 
uh yeah fiverr is crazy it's evolved it used to be for top five bucks on on a service yeah graphic design or logo for me sometimes it was good sometimes it was bad sometimes it was just somewhere in between you'd hire people and one of them would be good uh and nowadays there's providers from all over the place all across the world at different price points so yeah. you, if you need if you need to hire a native english speaker well, you can do that okay with with something that could end up being sub quality you can hire someone from another country yeah the, the i mean their music section alone on fiverr is intimidating i, I had this crazy. idea and then i went to fiverr and i was thinking oh man there are so many more things you can do in this space that i hadn't thought about soundtracking commercials editing audio into video like wow it's crazy so i'm going to start small and see where it goes it might not it might not work out you never know right but what it means is that we've hit a point where most of the other parts of Submit Hub are running smoothly enough that I can actually focus on potentially a whole new angle. I had thoughts of an entire experiment where I just pay for it and market a release that's I'm not allowed to use anything but Fiverr and the things they create for me. And if you get that set up on Submit Hub, I might try it there instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can do your album artwork, your lyrics, your um, epk lyric video music video yeah yeah your yeah. your instagram advertising i know so it's quite a popular method yeah. that people use to promote their music uh is, is instagram advertising but it's got a high barrier to entry i think so yeah. if you can just pay someone to set that up for you and run it pretty cool so well i'll touch on one thing anyway but i i should ask is there anything else new about submit hub that you're excited to share right now yeah, I mean the one the one I just referenced now is the Spotify data. So yeah. we yeah. we launched Spotify submissions in 2017, and shortly thereafter, Ari Herstand wrote a scathing article about the fact that we were charging people based on how many followers a playlist had, huh. and we weren't properly vetting the quality of those playlists. And his main gripe at the time was that many of these playlists had. 10,000 or 100,000 followers, but weren't actually generating any listeners. And I said, well, Ari, how the hell am I supposed to know that? Spotify right. just tells me what the followers are. And he kind of said, well, you know, that's for you to figure out. <laughs> so I did. I figured it out. Oh. After a lot of uh, kicking around and whatnot, the, the solution I landed on was to let artists share their insights with us. So about three weeks after an artist has been shared on a playlist, we reach out to them. We offer them some credits in exchange for them letting us know how many listeners they got from that playlist. And the net result is that today, I think we've got close to a million data points after five years. It's a lot. We have a lot of information powering the numbers behind our estimates for how many listeners a playlist gets. And, and this isn't something that Spotify makes available. And you know, Chartmetric attempted to do this. They don't show it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I know that Groover keeps talking about wanting to do it, but they're not doing it. Mm. At this point, I think we're the only ones who you can reliably go to to get these types of estimates. And the there have been some drawbacks to it. So I mentioned that after three weeks, we ask them for their numbers. And what that means is that we have a three-week delay on the listener numbers for all of our playlists. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it'd be much better to have 24-hour snapshots and actually tell you yesterday, this playlist 
got eight listeners per song type of thing. Or if you're at position five, you're going to expect this many listeners. Or if you're at position of 15, this many. Uh, I've, I've got that data now. <laughs> uh, I've been chatting about it in our bloggers chat room. You messaged these, these sort of IRC chat rooms. But yeah. the, the gist of it is that we're going to be getting more real-time data from, from Spotify artists. And, and that should allow us to, to get some snapshots. So we've partnered up with some, some larger companies who have broader access to data who are willing to share it with us in exchange for some, some back scratching. And that'll just uh, fill in nicely. So, so that's one thing I'm quite excited about and should be rolling out. And you know, no one's really going to notice, but it just <laughs> means we'll have much more accurate stats. And it's all about expectation setting and making sure that we're letting people know how many listeners a playlist has. Uh, so for example, if someone stops advertising or promoting their playlist, a lot of playlisters are using Instagram ads to keep their yeah. playlist engaged. If someone stops, we have a three-week delay where we can't actually tell that they stopped. And what happens is that anyone who gets shared in that three weeks ends up getting way fewer listeners than we estimated they would. With this new change, we'll probably be able to tell within 24 hours if there's been a drop-off. And, and then we can measure that over time, but we can also reflect those numbers straight away. So... That's a pretty cool one I'm excited about and uh, should see silently roll out. It's more of a back-end thing. So I'll probably throw up an article about it, but I also don't want to get too... No, I probably won't throw up an article about it. Oh, the on. people who can know about it are either in the bloggers chat room or they've made it this far in this podcast. So there you go. You uh, got to respond to Ari though. <laughs> I'm I'm chatting with Ari in November, uh, late November. So, so by then this will all be in place. It's all part of my plan. I've been working for... Uh, five years now to have a response to Ari. Got it. Here it is. Yeah. That's exciting. No, it's it's a better value. And it's cool that it's a silent rollout too. Um, but it sounds like artists are just going to get more and more value from their playlists. So I love that. I hope so. Just more expectation setting. So at least we can tell you like these guys only get five listeners or these guys 300, whatever. I, I just, th those stats I think are very important because without them, you're sort of shooting in the dark and you don't know whether a playlist can do anything until you're on it. Well, last time you were on, we did the the section of the podcast lovingly called not the Tim Ferriss section of the podcast. So this time I mostly want to conclude with, you know, you got your 2022 wish list and I'm sure you're keeping busy, but uh, do you have any other goals or anything specific excited about for 2022 and 2023? Uh, no, nothing too major in life. Uh, we're trying to spend a lot more time with family and, and see see family, uh, which is, I think, just the phase of life I'm heading into with, with two kids. The the website, I think, you know, the marketplace will be the one of the focuses that we have for the next six months or so. But there's a good chance that I'm going to get into distribution in some way. It seems like a natural segue. We've got yeah. we've got the artists, right? And yeah. and I think we can maybe offer something that is a step above or differentiates us from some of the other distributors, but it's also possible we'll actually end up partnering with a distributor and doing something under that umbrella. Uh, we've we've got um, we've been in close chats with a number of them, and of course that's that's also where the Spotify data is coming from. Uh, so we <laughs> we're getting buddy buddy with a number of distributors, and so either we will integrate with one of them or something might happen. I don't know. I can't predict the future entirely, but there's a there's a huge business overlap. From a, from a broader standpoint, they're very interested in Submit Hub's user base, which is independent artists releasing music. Yep. And uh, so it just seems like a, there's a natural 
Oh, synergy. <laughs> <laughs> to get corporate. Uh, so that's that's one potential direction. Otherwise, you know, we might just keep having fun with it. That, that's sort of the point of it. We we enjoy running this as a lifestyle business. There's five of us full-time on it now and, and a few others helping with customer support. And for us, it's that that flexibility that we really enjoy. To be able to, I, I, I make sure everyone on my team has this flexibility as well. I don't mind when you work, how long you work, as long as the work you're getting done is is good. Uh, and, and so we we all enjoy that flexibility. And, and that is one of the risks of, of heading to corporate. You know, we, we have like a no meeting philosophy at the business. I, we don't do meetings. So it's nice. It's nice this way. It's everything I left Google for. <laughs> so I don't want to ruin that. Yeah. I hear that. No, it's a big, big part of philosophy as well. Been working home since 2016. Sure. Been some roller coaster rides away, but I, freedom's my number one value. I just can't really give that up. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's an important one. So in all likelihood, 2023 will just continue the way 2022 did with uh, just a lot of improvements going out on the website. And and of course, there'll be more and more competition. They're getting more serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, where it goes, but we'll definitely keep an eye and, and see how things develop. Thanks so much for your time, Jason. It's been great. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Two and a half more years, right? You know, over the years, people have said to me, DA, I really resonate with your writing. I think you should start a magazine. Well, we've been planning this for a while. It's not a magazine, but it is a print newsletter, our brand new print newsletter, Elite Players Newsletter. If you haven't had the opportunity to check it out yet, you want to go to musicentrepreneurhq.com slash elite newsletter. That's E-L-I-T-E newsletter. You get four incredible bonuses just for signing up to receive the first two issues, including four group Q&A and coaching sessions, members-only audios, a lifetime subscription, no less, my latest book, The Music Entrepreneur Companion Guide. You're going to get a physical hardcover copy. And my forthcoming book, The Renegade Musician, also a physical hardcover copy. So go to musicentrepreneurhq.com slash elite newsletter to learn more about this incredible offer. Thanks for listening. The opening theme, closing theme, and closing segment ambient music was created by Brian Bob Young. If other music was used in this episode, it's credited in the show notes at musicentrepreneurhq.com. Please leave us a rating and review in iTunes to help us spread the word about the show. Thank you.